sound. What do you now? What was they saying on that? Just do your intro. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's Game of Thrones to be watched. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and culture and how it affects us. My name is Jai Smith, and I am joined, as always, with my co-host, Alex Adams. Hello, Jai. How are you? I'm good. Are you excited? What, about Game of Thrones yes. tonight? Or the people that we're about to interview? <laughs> both. Both. I'm excited about both. Are you more excited about one than the other? Um, yes, I'm definitely about? more excited about the people we've got in front of mm, us, of course. Mm. Of course. I think they're more excited about Game of yeah. Thrones. <laughs> Why would you schedule this on a Monday know. night? I wasn't thinking. I'm not well. You weren't thinking. <laughs> so, welcome. Welcome. Thanks welcome, Ruby and Shu. Let's do Hi. this the other way around. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Um, so recently, Alex, I attended the Peripheral City, uh, which was a temporary rooftop exhibition uh, and it was really meant to offer like a glimpse into the future of the Sydney CBD. Um, and one of the most interesting things I found was about redefining kind of the boundaries of the city. So if you reimagined the city, if you looked at it differently or you kind of thought what is possible with mm-hmm. a city that's incredibly organic in terms of the way it was, I'm not going to say designed because it definitely wasn't designed. It wasn't it was, designed. It was, it was just it was <laughs> cobbled together. Um, and actually through that experience, I actually met uh, two independent designers, uh, Shu and Ruby, who are here today. Uh, and Ruby is a designer and online creator, living and working in Darlinghurst, where your namesake yeah. is from. Woo-hoo-hoo. Represent. Uh, and, and her work is really uh, rooted in the desire to connect people with creativity and kind of ranges from illustration, which I've seen bits and pieces of, some very interesting um, mediums, and actually full-scale branding, which, again, I actually had a look over your shoulder the other day at Vibewire as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that, and I thought that was fascinating, not only because you know, the branding work I do, but kind of just where you've come from in this journey. And you too, Shu, uh, you're an ar- architectural designer based in Sydney and you're, you've got a whole new venture called Studio Shu. I know, I just started a new practice, I guys. like it, I like Studio it. Studio Shu, I love that name. It's great, cool. isn't it? Yeah. I did have to tell somebody it wasn't about shoes and that that was somebody's name. <laughs> I but, know, yeah. you have to see it spelled out. Yeah. And I, I really love the, the way you kind of position it around, uh, you know, really focusing on spatial strategies and social impact. And that's some of the stuff I want to talk about today. because. Great. One of the first podcasts I looked at, I listened to, looked at, uh, was around, um, it was 99, 99, which 99% Invisible. I don't know how I forgot the, that's a great podcast. 99% Invisible. Okay. Which is around the idea that 99% of of design is invisible. Yeah. Yeah. And it was actually around creating spaces that don't welcome people. So like the little stones they put on stairs to stop skateboarders mm. or the spikes they put on benches to stop homeless people lying Defensive down. Defensive design. Defensive design. Look, there we go. We're being yeah. schooled. This is it. I love that. <laughs> so welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. And I am aware that talking about design on a podcast is a bit difficult. So <laughs> I'll put some links and stuff at the bottom for any projects yep. you guys kind of talk about. Because sure. this is a lot of hand waving probably and yeah. not a lot of... <laughs> Just links to our Instagram's fine. Yeah, yeah lots of images on <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's start with you, Ruby. Um, how did you start your journey, kind of into creative and into design, uh, and, and kind of what were the challenges that you came up against? You know, when you first started. Oh, I mean, if if you go all the way back, I didn't get into design school, which was the biggest hurdle I think overall. Because I mean, a lot of a lot of design, a lot of professional practices rooted in traditional education, and that was not the path I took. So. I ended up studying a diploma of marketing, which was a completely different mm. route than going through like a very visual and conceptual way of study. 
But I'm really glad that I did that because it, I ended up, you know, teaching myself just through reading textbooks and figuring things out on my own and testing things. And it led me to visual communication instead of just design as a mm. as a base practice. And I think that's definitely been a lot more helpful in regards to like using that to help other people communicate what they want because I don't think that a lot of like very traditional design is that helpful nowadays. I think you really need to know how to communicate effectively with people because everything is audience-based. And have like a practical application for yeah. design. Yeah, like I think true design is beautiful, but it's it needs to be rooted in, in practicality, you know, especially now that a lot of it's like graphic and screen-based. So I, yeah, I went through communication and, and then I did a whole bunch of internships. I worked in an agency for a little while doing creative How, how did stuff that for go? Them. I think you said something once to me. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. The internships or just... No, just I worked agencies. full-time agency for a year yeah. and then I was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> um, and then I went freelance about seven months ago now. So that, that's been a, it's definitely been a very steep learning curve, but a good one. Like yeah. I've, I've got a, a steady slew of clients and I'm slowly working to, I think, eventually become more of a, you know, an art director kind of, no. that's my aim. So kind of drop in on bigger, more creative projects and, and, you know, Awesome. Do creative stuff. That's <laughs> no, really cool. Shoot. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because it's. I feel like I'm meeting a lot more people that I just have really similar paths to me because I kind of, I did the generic architecture degree, got a bit burnt out, started working in the industry at a firm and then also just found that really unrewarding in the fact that it was just such a job and there was no fun in it and I couldn't really have a creative voice within that sort of, uh, environment and so I left that to sort of start my own thing and I'm at the stage where I've got a few clients who I've been working with and really lucky clients who work in the social impact sort of mm. um, sector which I've been really lucky with which meant that I've been meeting even more people um, and so I think finding uh, a practice that does more than just create pretty designs and actually influences people and um, their spaces has been really rewarding. And I think that's a relationship that's probably not well known around social impact and, and design of space. That's and right, yeah. is that what your work was rooted at in the peripheral piece? Yeah, I think it was definitely a, the installation exhibition. So basically it started with, so Gavin from Disruptors Hamburg, I did his uh, fit out for his office space and I saw the opportunity of the rooftop, which he had no plans for. And I just thought, hey, this is a private rooftop. Why don't more you know people have access to it? It's such a beautiful view it's so it shouldn't be privatized and so that's why I picked it as a site for the Sydney Design Festival and engaging with young creatives and I think the way we transformed that space even though it was a temporary thing made the space really accessible and we did such a minimal installation but just the fact of bringing people up to that rooftop really created this social vibe and allowed everyone to sort of have such a good time on the rooftop. I think something that was really incredible to see with that exhibition was even though yeah I mean we all had zero budget was nothing we just were you know it was all out of pocket it was all just you know as quickly as possible I honestly think it was maybe three weeks of start to finish getting this together and having the response that we did of people being like just so excited to be in that space and to have access to that space I think it really it it spoke volumes to the importance of of access in all parts of the city and the amount of space that I know for a fact is not being used, like I think that was a really big driving factor for me to participate in this. 
What did it look like? What? Yeah, yeah try and we try and describe, describe it movie, um, without images. <laughs> uh, so. The rooftop basically had a panoramic view of the city's skyline because it's in Surrey Hills. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you can imagine that, but it's gorgeous, especially when there's a sunset. And what we did was we found this really beautiful, shiny, reflective silver fabric from Reverse Garbage. That was $10 a roll. Wow. And we created this curtain that divided the rooftop in half diagonally. Okay. I, it's How big was the rooftop? Um, like... Maybe like 15 metres by 15 metres. Okay. Not yep. the biggest rooftop, yep. just like a small little space. Um, and so this curtain kind of ran across it and then there was a little opening and we built a little platform that you walk on um, through the, this shimmery curtain. I don't know if I'm doing a good job describing Maybe. it. <laughs> um, and that basically created a journey for people to kind of walk towards the edge of the rooftop. And so it was a space where it would, we really created the journey in how you experience and walk around the rooftop. It wasn't just everyone can just wander on it. Yep. Um, and it was – so there were six uh, designers involved and we actually, in, in addition to that little um, installation on the rooftop, we had scattered within the offices behind the rooftop some little exhibition pieces as well. Oh. And they were just a little, uh, little works around just kind of – little talking points to, to help people talk about the city. Yeah. So you could what, pinpoint them from the rooftop and you could look at other rooftops and identify Yeah, so we, yeah. essentially like, what we did was we had the initial like overall rooftop experience, which which was to walk out on this like jetty and mm. through the curtain, which would give you that panoramic view. Cool. And then throughout that rooftop space, there was six artworks slash design pieces that mm. were – each of them had like quite a different approach. And I think because they came from such different backgrounds when we had two traditional architecture students, we've, we've got Shu, we had me, we had a, a furniture designer and a, a photographer. So there was a really lovely like spread of artworks and, and design pieces, but each kind of had a very different approach to the way that we were tackling this, this kind of theme of peripheral mm. city. So for me, I, I made work that was about the, you know, very quickly fading brutalist buildings of the city, which are, you know, a mm. little bit loved, a little bit hated. And the uh, probably most prominent or well-known brutalist, is it not the one as you're going building. over the yeah, Harbour the Bridge, building. the yeah. one-way Jesus sign? That's yeah. what I always used to yeah. think of. Yeah. yeah. So, like, m- my work was, uh, like, clear sheets of acrylic that had been etched with those buildings and mm. it, they were, like, kind of clamped to the actual rooftop so that you could look through them to the skyline mm. and they kind of... Very own, like only very slightly, you could see them amongst all the other buildings. Yeah, and then we had um, Izzy, who is a photographer. She made these like lenses, kaleidoscope, kaleidoscope lenses. They were um, there's a name for them because they turn everything upside down, yeah. inside out. But I mean, that's, camera obscuras. Yeah, yes, that's it. Yeah, so she made these beautiful, like huge interactive pieces that you looked through that you could see the city from a different wow. perspective. So I think. Everyone's work was really there to be a different talking point to the theme. And we had mm. also Kieran. But who, interacting in different, making you interact yeah. with the city in different ways and yeah. seeing it through the, I, you know, the vision different of lenses. Different, yeah. So yeah. creative. I love it. I instantly think was thinking, you know, have you thought about approaching City of Sydney and seeing if there's any grant or anything that you could do? Because I know that yeah. they're all about, you know, Claude Moore and Alex Greenwich. They're all about sort of, you know, 
maximizing yeah. um, yeah. untapped and unutilized spaces in the city. Absolutely. I think it's much um, easier said than done because there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in actually having access to spaces. Um, mm. I think what worked with us, because it was informal and it was a pop-up, no one could really take it down or say no to it sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was um, that event did demonstrate a lot of the things that we do envision for the city and I think that would be a next step to kind of yeah. formalize it and turn it into something that we could take to the city of Sydney and say look this is a proven thing like look at all the engagement we got look how we transformed the city through these very simple things mm. um and I that that's a good segue into some of the things that Ruby and I are <laughs> kind of doing at the moment yeah I think I think peripheral city was in a way an experiment to things that we had all separately I guess, inferred about the way that the city could behave Mm -hmm. and the way that people within the city could interact with the built environment. So after that and after the kind of, you know, really wonderful response, I got Shu and another friend of ours together and I was like, okay, what can we do with this this result? You know, because there's something there, there's energy there, there's, there's a good response and there's people who are out there wanting to interact with private space. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of in the process at the moment of, of building out this idea to figure that out and yeah. go, okay, where are these spaces? Who's willing to open them up? Who's willing to let there be new things built inside them? And kind of using that like creative direction mm. aspect from my practice and the architectural practice from, from Shu to kind of build these up and make them mm. pop-up spaces, event spaces, permanent architecture Kind of anything. <laughs> and there was another, because you picked the brutalist buildings because they were being knocked down. Is that what it was? There's, is it being bro- uh, knocked down? And do we need to explain brutalist buildings? I had to Google it that night. <laughs> oh, so, okay. I think for anyone who is in Sydney or anyone who's been to Sydney, when you're driving over the Harbour Bridge and you're coming away from North Sydney into the city, there's a building on the left-hand side, which kind of obscures your view of the Opera House. Uh, many would describe it as quite ugly. It is um, like big square blocks of concrete it's very grey and it used to be housing um, commission so how do house you know disadvantaged people used to live there for many many years and then uh, I think it was last year or the year before um, these people were removed from essentially their homes because they were going to yeah I think it was was a couple of years last year year, yeah the last last resident was there alone for I think a year and a half Mm. two years and then she got finally removed from that space blind lady Myra yes Myra Banks yes Um, she, I actually got to meet her and I went on a, huh. um, a tour with the architect Tal Gophers as well. But uh, essentially brutalism is, is just a, it was a time period mainly right. uh, of design, uh, of, you know, architectural design. And it's, you know, as the name suggests, it's quite in your face. It's, you know, they're using quite, you know, huge structural materials. Like it's a big concrete. It's kind mm. of in your face. It's. It is brutal, and so like a lot of people, when they look at it, it they're a little bit afraid. I used to be really afraid of the serious building. I hated it as a child. Really? What is um, it called? The serious. The serious building. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and it. Is it why so serious? No, like no. the star. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, the, for me anyway, uh, getting to know this format of of design, as I'm, you know, as we'll call it a format. <laughs> um, you know, it's. It's a really, at the end of the day, it's still a really important part of, you know, Sydney's built history and the fact that only one brutalist building in Sydney is currently actually protected, which is the Wentworth Union building. um, That to me is, I think, you know, it's a real shame because you can't have a 250-year-old building without it first turning 
20 or 40 or 50 or 100. Mm. Mm. You know, Good you go point. to Europe and you can see buildings that are over a thousand years old. That's mm. incredible. Yeah. But that that needs to be protected from day one or as close to day one as possible. And so for me, deleting a part of, of Sydney's built environment that people just think is ugly because they won't pay attention to why it's important. Mm-hmm. It's a misunderstanding. It's also unfortunate yeah. that it's called brutalism because yeah. it sounds like brute, but brute, like B-R-U-T, actually just means concrete in French. So yeah. it was just a total misunderstanding. Uh, yeah. And now every time someone hears brutalism, it's just like, oh, it's so brutal. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so ugly. Yeah. yeah. I, I, like, I think it, it's the same with anything. I mean, but the, but the problem is, is that if you said, okay, we're going to knock down, you know, the deco building on Bridge Street, yeah. it, everyone would riot. Because it's beautiful and because it's, you know, it's aesthetically pleasing. But but at the end of the day, any part of history, you know, is worth saving because we can learn from it. It's like the cute panda syndrome that we only protect the species that are popular amongst. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, precisely. (laughs) But does it come back to form and function? I think you guys were mentioning that earlier. Mm, Yeah. is I mean I don't know the state of the the Sirius building, mm. um, and I 100% I agree with you that we should be protecting these buildings. And I think that's a really good point that you made. That how do you get to thousand year old buildings if you can't get it to 10, 20, 30 years? Mm. Uh, but you know obviously there's got to be an argument there if it's no longer functional or mm. it's um, you know there's, there's a better yep. function for society to to have yeah. for that. Uh, then, you know, you can kind of see where the argument is to oh, take absolutely. it down. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's always that, there's always going to be that argument. And I think particularly for the serious building, the fact that it was, you know, community housing, I think mm. is a huge part of that fight because, mm. you know, it's in one of the most high-end real estate positions in Sydney. Yeah. It's overlooking the harbour and that that is in itself such a privileged place to be, to look out at, the richest part of our city. Mm. And so the core concept of that being giving, given to people who don't earn any money or they, you know, might be in a, a critical position in their lives and might be living transiently, like those are all really huge things that people, I guess, in our government aren't willing to support because they just believe it's good real estate, Yeah, mm. you know. But also when it comes down to a lot of brutalist buildings, especially being still quite functional and now empty, mm. It then begs the question, which Shu and I are asking, of why can't we do something else with these buildings, you know, instead of just knocking it down and turning it and into And also else. with our generation, we're not just facing issues about aesthetics and design. It's sort of how do we renovate and make use of existing structures because yeah. you don't yeah. need to knock it down if it's not functional. There's ways to re- – and just there's so much material involved in demolishing a building yeah. that it's sort of – it's up to our generation with all these environmental issues happening – not in, in the background anymore, it's in the foreground. It's yeah. sort of, it needs to be the first thing we think about is how do we actually... Repurpose yeah, rather repurpose, than rebuild. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and readapt and all of those things. The environmental cost of demolition is just so high. And so it's just like, we have this, we have structures all over Sydney that are empty and they're perfectly fine. And yeah. it's just mm-hmm. like, because, oh, you know, it, it looks like it's a bit dilapidated. Okay, yeah. can repaint it, yeah. like, you yeah. know, and pull out the interior. Fine, put something new inside. But like, at the end of the day, where we are at a point now where it's like we just have to figure out what we can do to reuse what we already have because mm. the the cost for the future is just too dire, essentially. Mm. <laughs> well, it's like the building we're in right now. Like this mm. is you know the Carlos Sampati building. It was a That's wool right. shed originally. I oh, think. really? Yeah. 
Okay. It would be over 100 years old. That's amazing. Yeah. At least. And, Interesting. You know, yeah. that's what's happened here. Is, you know, there's you know, uh, three levels of probably about yep. six or seven different advertising agencies because this is popular now, so that's what we want. But yeah. I think what you're saying is that things turn 10 or 20 years old, suddenly they become unfashionable. So therefore mm. we decide they have no value yeah. rather yeah. than kind of thinking long term about what could be done or what are those steps in the interim that could be done to be able to build it into something else. Yeah, precisely. That's right. And I think the hospitality industry in the last 10 years in particular, bars have mm. been really mm. great at repurposing mm. unutilised oh, spaces. I mean, yeah. there's a group, the Swill House group, who has Baxter Inn, Shady Pine Saloon. <laughs> you yeah. know, they've got so many spaces where um, really clever business model as well because they yeah. would take these really cheap rent That's right. of what was like a basement <laughs> storage level and yeah. then they would do these awesome fit outs and, you know, it became very cool to kind of discover these hidden bars yeah. Yeah. And, um, and also a way if you're opening one of your first bars that you can kind of keep the cost down of, mm. of rent rather than having it on a main spot on the street. Yeah. yeah. So as an industry, I think bars and restaurants have been able to do that really well in Sydney yeah, and Melbourne absolutely. and across Australia. I think there's a really interesting case study there with um, Chin Chin. Yeah. We completely yeah. took over the Griffiths Tea bu- Building and, like, that was set to be de- demolished. Really? Yeah. yeah. And it's such a and beautiful it, building. It great? It's just yeah. such a wonderful yeah. part of the history of, of mm. Sydney and, yeah, okay, they put some pink neon lights in there and I don't necessarily <laughs> want to eat there, but, but for me it's <laughs> yeah. that's still an incredible use of that space. Yeah. Well, there's also know? apartments that are going in now yeah. upstairs yeah. And, and that whole know? has been redeveloped. And now that whole area, like, you, you've got Paramount, you've got mm. a bunch of – businesses you've got so much stuff going on and that's kind of become its own little hub yeah mm. and what yeah. a shame that would have been if that that building had been knocked down and there's just another generic apartment yeah, yeah another generic building that mm. goes up so if hospital if we're agreeing that hospitality has been really good at repurposing spaces uh around around australia um are there any other industries that you think you've seen it doing well um any other industries that's doing it well I think for us, it's more about thinking also about creative spaces or spaces with a non-generic function, like a hospitality space. Oh, retail. (laughs) Yeah, retail, because the problem with gentrification, and it's happening around the Waterloo area, because Mm. um, it's getting, you know, like the Waterloo Social Housing Precinct near Redfern. I'm not sure if you know that area too well, Um, but it used to have a huge Aboriginal community and it's social housing, public housing, yeah. affordable housing tenants there. And now it's because it's getting gentrified with lots of private housing. It's just generic cafes. A lot of the really local personal shop fronts and um, small businesses have basically been pushed out yeah. and replaced with just like glitzy um, restaurants and cafes. So that's a, there's a lot of issues as well from that perspective, but it's more about just creating equality within spaces at yeah. the end of the day. It's like not setting space aside just for hospitality or for this brand or this big company, but actually allowing people, even with people who don't have a huge budget, but have a nice business or something, yeah. like making that space available for them. And then we get a lot more diversity within our street fronts. Yeah. I feel like that's, it. you know, that it definitely comes down to policy, you know, it comes down to the people that are making our laws uh, surrounding zoning and and going like you know okay we have a fucking billion fancy little restaurants and uh-huh. bars and stuff like that but you know we also have incredible people who you know at the end of the day they need space to do what they want to do yeah. and mm. it is up to people who are at the top to go actually you know what here's a serious building it's really wonderful and it's empty so what are we going to do with it let's give it to the creatives to do something or like let's give it to anyone 
to just do mm. something different and because like it, you know at the end of the day not all of us have huge budgets and it's mm. really yeah. great that you know hospitality companies that can swoop in and save something that's really great and i think it's great to like propel the idea of that forward but then we need to actually look a little bit further and go who else can benefit from these spaces yeah. and it's it's individuals it's small groups it's mm. i think it's just getting the right mix whatever yeah. it is yeah. it's balance mm. how can we foster that next generation or next wave mm. of creativity that might not have the bank balance to support it and I think it's, um, you know, it's typical like Paddington, for instance, our office is in Paddington and it's ridiculous to buy a terrace there. But, yep. you know, even back in the 70s, it was very bohemian and it was where all the artists mm. were. And then I feel like the bohemians make it cool and then everyone with the money comes in yep. and then they kind of <laughs> buy all the expense, yeah. you know, they buy it all up. Yeah. And then the bohemian people can't live there anymore. So they move out. And yeah. so therefore, and you know, you've kind of seen that happen with all the major cities like yeah. Redfern, uh, Suburbs Redfern happened like that as well. Yeah, and Alexandria yeah. Yeah. from industrial to kind of like generic yeah. housing. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. those creatives Very who cool. might not make as much money tend to, you know, well, where can we still go yeah. that's central? Yeah. yeah. Make a place cool and then <laughs> set the trend, I guess. That's right. What what kind of trends are you seeing in Sydney overall? Like in, I imagine it's a fairly broad question, but maybe mm. something you guys are particularly passionate about. Like what, what kind of are the design trends that you see today? Not sure. That is a broad question. Um, I don't know. Do you mean sort of like this sort of spaces or materials? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. What kind of like what kind of looks are people going for as well? Yeah. First start interior. I think it's definitely gone a lot more poppy. Like I'm seeing a lot of like millennial pinks, Mm. like minty colors, like lots of pastels. Um, it's a lot of these really friendly, bright colour spaces and you start seeing even in fit-outs for cafes, like the same sort of timber tops or like the tiling Mm. and the copper details. It all becomes quite it sort of stock It comes down standard. to Instagram ability. I think at yeah. the moment there's, there's this kind of like there is an Instagram aesthetic that people want and they mm. will pay for because it will draw people in. If people mm. are going to come and take, mm. you know, a picture and post it to their 20,000 followers, it's good for business. Yeah. It's become you know? superficial in it, that yeah. way because it's no one's looking at how the building connects with people or how it sits in within a bigger city environment. They're all looking at that one photo or that one corner where there's a nice chair. Or even how it's communicating. <laughs> yeah. I know the chair you're talking yeah. about. It came, <laughs> yeah, in my head. Oh, it came in my head as well. That's you know, so I was thinking, where did we go a couple of months ago? Um, Hacienda? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. With, the, with the neon, the, the, on the, yeah, the neon like, signs. Like, I've got a photo of that. I put yeah. it on Instagram straight away. Like, yeah, because like, yeah, it's fun. Important. Yeah. yeah, I and think those it's blush like, pinks. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, the blush pinks. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like, you know, with some, some spaces, I think are really trying to make the effort to communicate their story. And they can mm. still do that with, like, by playing the game, I guess, as you mm. could say, and going, like, okay, it's, it would be silly to cut out a whole portion of our audience that might find us through social media. And I think that's, you know, it's valid. It's fine to do that. But like definitely from a trend perspective, it is a trend and it will be unfashionable in like probably two, two to five years. So here's my, so it was the last thing we kept seeing a lot of more rustic designs, like especially again in hospitality, like all copper and, because that's what Hong Kong was going through when I left a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of looked at it and I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm sitting in Sydney, you know, five years before. Yeah. I'm saying Hong Kong's slow. It just took a while for even the uh, zoning laws and stuff there to change. Yeah. Mm. But it was like cafe in a box. And yep. I think we talked to Steve about this. Mm. Maybe I talked about him on the weekend, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Who um, is doing a lot of consulting work designing, like, cafe spaces. Right. Uh, and he's like, yeah, everyone kind of wants the same thing. And, yep. you know, I hadn't really caught on to the, you know, the, 
the pinks and kind of those soft colors be yeah, different, right? Yeah, it's just a marketing thing. But um, but other trends that I think people just want to work fast and have a lot of cookie cutter things because it just makes it efficient. Um, but I work also a little bit with um, co-working spaces, um, mm. Vibewire, for example, and I'm working with another organization to kind of do a little bit of their offices. And they don't have six-figure budgets. And you know, and then they're giving me images that they found on the internet that they want. want. And I point to a chair and I say, that chair is $10,000. Like, you're <laughs> not going to, that's like a fifth of your budget. <laughs> that's my Instagram chair. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean? And so it, it's sort of, it's kind of a dangerous game because a lot of those trends are great and it's the wish list. But realistically, there are clients out there and there are people out there who just don't have the luxury of that. And so there's a huge gap for designers like us to kind of feel just to, but to be efficient about it and mm. still achieve those same Design quality. I was thinking about that on the way here. Like the, I think, as with all social media, I mean, it's from the beach babes to the beautiful cafe spaces. I love how you pointed to Jai when you said beach babes. (laughs) It really, at the end of the day, it's a facade, and it doesn't communicate how much like either money or Photoshop goes into something looking that great you are never going to have a space that is as flooded with light as you know a render for example yeah. where it's literally a 3d model <laughs> so, so what is your advice then to people who want to do something a bit different and maybe think about a bit more of what they're doing and move beyond the aesthetic and kind of mm. you know start to combine people with their spaces yeah i think it's really i think first of all you have to break that mold that society is giving you, which is you know graduate find a job and then climb that ladder because that's not what Ruby and oh, I Oh, I even meant just about people oh. designing the space. Oh, I, I the do space. I do want to talk about the advice oh, for others, but yeah. just, just while we're on this topic. Yeah, because I more just meant it's sort of you have to kind of have your own design identity before you can um, really kind of do really personalised spaces with those kind of clients as well. But um, but I think – so Ruby works at a really interesting furniture place on Wednesdays called So What? Wednesdays. Um, go down Wednesdays to see her. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say was it's sort of independent designers. That's where I'm getting at. Um, independent <laughs> designers working with other independent designers and local makers. And Got so it. I've learned through Ruby about So What, who, who's just this couple, mm. Sophie and Jono, Jono who make furniture that looks like it's $10,000, but they do it for like less than half the price. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they, I mean, like... Do they do replicas? No, they, okay. it's, no it's, it's original, original design. Yeah, they've got their own um, manufacturing facility. So they've got a CNC router, which basically cuts large pieces of timber. Mm. And it's really efficiently designed, can be flat packed. Um, yeah. And it's, but I didn't even know about them. And mm. so uh, everyone's going to China to get these like glossy mm. little finishes and materials. But if you look locally, there are lots of small little businesses that could expand if more money right. was actually invested in them yeah. and more clients were seeing that they have the capability to deliver those designs. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it also comes down to like I mean Australia definitely doesn't like have a super duper ingrained design thinking like Europe for example where like it's it's just been so inherently ingrained in their right. culture for a very long time. So Is Melbourne better than Sydney at this? Yes and no. Say. I mean I don't live in Melbourne so I couldn't couldn't say but I mean I definitely yeah. follow a lot of you know, mm. glossy just, designers yeah. from yeah. Melbourne. I think in Melbourne, if you get one good trendy designer, like everyone flocks w- to them. Yeah, and and within a year, they've like they've gone up. Like they've they've sold out or <laughs> like something happened. Out. Yeah. They're back in dusty pink and neon. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> I mean, I think with especially with designing space and designing space for the long term, you have to you know you've got to consider what materials are going to last and 
uh, you know, what, what you're willing to invest in. I mean, it, it does always come down to budget at the end of the day, unfortunately, yeah. because it's, that's the, that's the reality of what you can, can do. Yeah. But like, you know, if we take, so what, for example, they, they use plywood and a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about plywood. It's an incredibly sustainable material mm. and it's beautiful and it can be finished in so many different ways, mm. you know, as opposed to a $10,000 sheet of hardwood which is yeah. just so not sustainable. Mm. It's those little considerations where you might not find that out yeah. through just buying something in bulk or whatever. Like it's, it's like at the supermarket. You yeah. want to know where your food comes from and the ingredients that's in there, but people don't think about that with design. They don't look at a chair and say, oh, what kind of plastic is in no. that? Like, is it harmful? Or like the processes that went into making that chair, yeah. was it like an awful factory? And or was it ethical? I do. I was going to ask you about yeah. that because I recently went sofa shopping and it is oh, it is so hard to buy a sofa really because, and I went into so many stores and I'd be like, <laughs> okay, and I, at one point we are looking at this sofa and I was close to buying and I was like, oh, you know, is this ethically produced? Yeah. Like, where is this made? And like in China. And I was like, do you That's know really anything difficult. about the factory? And do you know whether, yeah. you know, the, the workers are happy? And my partner was just like, come on, it's a fucking <laughs> couch. And I was like, it's not just a couch. Yeah. It's an identity and, it's and what also, we stand for. Yeah. It's also that consideration of like what's, what's going to happen to that space or that piece of furniture or that, you know, that interior that, once you stop using it, what's going to happen after that? It's going to go into landfill yeah, like exactly. so much else. Yeah. yeah, it makes it so hard. I got told off by a builder because I wanted to – because we didn't have much of money, so I told him I'm just going to get some timber from Bunnings. And he just, like, gave me the biggest glare. And he was like, you know how much Bunnings is ripping off local suppliers? And he gave me this whole oh, lecture. Really? And then he was like, look, use this timber supplier because they're a family. From, was it, was it they No, it was it. It was, oh, it was somewhere in Lidcombe, actually. Um, anyway, and so now I, every time I have a client that wants to work with Timber, I just go to these guys in Lidcombe. And were they the same price as Bunnings? Bunnings no. is way more expensive. No, they were more expensive. Like, really? oh, but, yeah. No, but the Timber was like much better quality. Like you mm. couldn't get this quality of Timber. But also, Bunnings, but, you know, yeah. something that I learned from So What is that like, you know, with, with ply, for example, it's just yeah. like, like a good, like a normal sheet of standard plywood. At Bunnings, it's maybe like 70 bucks. Yeah. And do you know where it comes from? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> And then if you go to where they go to, which is called Trademaster, it might be a little bit more expensive, but you know that this piece of ply has come from Russia and you know exactly where the trees were grown and where you they can were down. You can trace yeah. it all I the way back. I love that. That's cool. Mm. So what, it's called So What, the so furniture what? place. Yeah, okay. W-A-T-T. You know what we Do you sell sofas? Yeah, you should look into so what. You know, we should actually like make a list of like, I'm sure maybe- That would be great actually. It either exists and we should find it or we should make our own if it doesn't exist. Please, we would love to share that. And actually there were a couple of questions I- um, yeah, I was going to sh- quick fire at yeah. you as like, you sure. know, some of some of your favorite suppliers. Mm. Um, but two I had was uh, around Sydney mm. in particular, um, do you have a favorite building and do you have a favorite interior? Each? Oh my God, good questions. <laughs> I can start. You start. Please want. start. You start. I need time to think. I, I mean, I will always have my forever love of the serious building. It's, I yeah. think, conceptually it was beautiful and then culturally it was really important part of Sydney's history and now as a like a social fight it's something that I'm really passionate about um you know but I I I love some of the new buildings in Sydney there's someone um there's one on uh, Pitt Street I think that's called like the the big LED like it's like a support beam and it like spits out Random stuff. Random, yeah, I never know what oh, it's I love saying, it. but I love I'm like, it. I like it's it. It's really fun. Sometimes it looks like a stock market, yeah. and then other times I'm like, I'm sure that's yeah. just. It's a got word. all this really great like powder coated steel throughout it. It's really fun, and then like, is you that know, where we work? Are mm, maybe. Maybe. That's what we work. 
Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bye bye. And then the, yeah. <laughs> the, the deco building on Bridge Street, where the bridge room is, is also. Oh beautiful. yeah, it's stunning, mm-hmm. isn't it? And then favorite interior. Um, I spend every day of my life in Veneziano on Burke Street, which is a little cafe. Um, yeah. It's like almost completely concrete, and they have my favorite chairs in there, which is the only reason I went in there in the first place. <laughs> Um, but it's beautiful. It's you know it's full of it's full of plants and it's this like completely concrete interior and they've got this incredible bar that's like six meters long. It's I've never heard of it. What's it called? Slab of concrete. It's called Veneziano. Veneziano. It's across the road from the, the Woolworths hey. on Burke Street. It's across the road from that. And it's next to this new brutalist building, which is really cool. Oh, next to the Beresford. Yep. Ah. It's a cafe. It's it's like. Just over a year old. Oh yes, okay. It had yeah. used to, yeah. 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 Well, what's really interesting about that, just on a, on a side <laughs> note, next to Bricks Distillery. Yeah, on in between note, those they, two. I wanted to know. I was like, okay, guys, come on. The, every single chair in here is more than a thousand dollars. I need to know how you can get away with just serving coffee and nothing else. Huh? Like this, it cannot be that cheap <laughs> to rent this place. And they were like, oh no, we just ran in the negatives for a year. Because what? Yeah, because they have like this whole. Roastery. They own a farm. Uh, it's like they supply coffee oh wow. to like half of Sydney Airport. And they were like, "Yeah, well, we can just afford to yeah. just not make it's money here, wow. basically." Though, yeah, yeah, because they've got this whole other business, Bus- yeah, and the yeah, business yeah. is just doing all things B to B to B. And they yeah, were just yeah. like, "We can just do whatever we want in this space." And we just, I know, mm. it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that's what you know. You come down to like a client who's like, "Oh, well, you know, want to build something that's like Veneziano," and you're like. They didn't make any money for a yeah. long yeah. time. They're not in the coffee business per se. <laughs> yeah. They're not in the cups yeah. of coffee. They're in kilos <laughs> of coffee. Exactly. And that's, you know, that, that I don't have anything budget. for you. You don't? Really? You, so I just. You love everything too much? No, I think I really struggle with falling in love with S- Sydney. Like mm-hmm. the interiors or the buildings. Because All right. Well, anywhere else in Australia? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, no, so. I love sort of temporary spaces, as you can probably tell from just talking about um, peripheral cities early on the rooftop. Um, but in Melbourne, there's a gallery behind the National Gallery of Victoria called Testing Grounds. And it's basically three independent creative organisations put together. I'll have to link it afterwards. Um, but they basically transformed an empty car park and they put a really light structure over it. And now it's a gallery space. Mm. Um, and I love that because I love seeing spaces like that being transformed and yeah. utilised. And I just don't see enough of that in Sydney. And a lot of the buildings and interiors that I see, I just think are so, they just they feel really colonised, for lack of a better word. And I just, it's sort of just. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, just, I just don't, because I've, I actually just came back from a trip from China and Hong Kong as well, where a lot of the cities do grow organically and you just see a lot of life in the buildings. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I don't know whether it's just I have a disconnect with Sydney as a city and that's why I'm here to change it. But <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think yeah. At, at the moment, I'm definitely feeling a disconnect with Sydney at the moment. Yeah. It's really interesting. I've, I've been reading a book about Sydney's history and I'm like, loving it so much. And then I'm like, oh, half of it's gone. I yep. think what we're lacking here is, is personal. We're just, you know, you, that scale is missing. That. Yeah. Like you go somewhere and you know people, you know, there's just none of that. I mean, I go to the same bar and the same cafe every single day of my life and I'm now friends with the people that work there. But if I show up anywhere else, there's just not that level of care. Yeah. I think it's all just... It is just colonised. Yeah. But does that come down to living in a big city? It probably, Would you find yeah. that in yeah. other major cities? Um, I mean, you're always going to have your locals that get to know yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel mm. like there's, I think, even in, I think the, the scalability of community, obviously, it does fizzle out after a while. But I feel like there are still pockets 
of of Sydney that could be just that little bit tighter knit, you know? Mm. I, I had this conversation again in Hacienda. Mm. Back, <laughs> and I, I was at the bar and I had struck up a conversation about the guy about his watch. And he's like, I bet you're not from Sydney. I'm like, I am from Sydney. <laughs> And he's like, I'm from Melbourne. He's like, and no one talks to me at a bar here. And I'm like, yeah, it's a weird thing you do if you've ever been an expat. We just talk to everyone. You're trying to make friends all the time. But I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't talk to people in Sydney as readily as I would normally. I feel a hesitation there. Mm. So I do know what you're saying. I think think there are definitely parts. And again, I I think we touched on this with Steve as well. But we had a... um, there is a part of Sydney that is a little more aggressive than other parts of, of the mm. world, whereas Melbourne seems a little friendlier. But I think I think what's changing pretty quickly is that places like Marrickville, the Inner West, yeah, and Erskineville, the yeah. they're really I think they're they're a great example of where that's being turned around. And I think mainly because yeah. you know of what's happening in the middle of the city where it is a lot more dead. But mm. I, I think there's certainly a lot more community aspect. Like yeah. you think about what the Young Henrys guys are doing at Newtown, mm. like. Because of that, and yeah. because they showed how much they were doing, yeah. but, you know, I, I I would agree with you that that feeling. But I think now what we're seeing is really big pushes to yeah. let's fix this community. People group. are That's trying right. to make an effort. Actually, I would say like a lot of my favorite spaces in Sydney are those sort of grassroots spaces, and I actually love a lot of brewery spaces. And it. now that you said Young Henry's, like even Yuli's new brewery looks beautiful, and like Wildflower, I think that sounds good. I love good. Wildflower. Yeah, there's so many. I actually, you know what? I I just like going to breweries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're your favorite interiors. I think they're more raw i think i think the next step really is like you know we've got this we have got opportunity to rebuild and and improve the kind of community feeling and i think there are people who are really making the effort and i think personally what i would like to see and and this is something that we touched on when we went to that Mm. um planning for sydney event oh yeah city of sydney put on yeah like just the government needs to support that because at the end of the day a budget will run out and so what the Young Henry's guys are doing is fantastic because now they've got their they've got their roots in and everyone's like, okay, we're supporting this. But like the next generation of people who want to make that effort, they need that that first push. Yeah. And that is going to come from mm. the government, it's gonna come from the council, it's gonna come from landowners and mm. you know, taxpayers and it's people with privilege, basically. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Have you got a favorite? I was going to ask you the same uh-huh, question. I knew you were. I'm going to really quick. Um, I know. I often ask these questions and don't expect people to ask them back. You look at interiors all the time. I do, mm. yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like if I see another bar that's got those butcher tiles mm. and the copper t- finishings, it all just starts looking the same. Same <laughs> as Kingfish. If I say Kingfish on the menu one more time, I'm going to scream. It's such a boring it's meal. Everywhere. <laughs> um, but, you know, it sounds... I've probably got heaps of others, but this was the first one that sprung to mind was actually quick QVB. Like, it's very yeah. grand. It's amazing. When I go you know, in there. You know, that was going to turn into a car park. What? Yeah. Like, around the same time, that's like, or whatever. You know, the Australian government does not own the QVB anymore. Who owns Who it? Who owns it? Singaporean government. What? Really? Are you They've kidding me? Like four or five years. Wow. I didn't know that. Correct that's me terrible. if I'm wrong. Okay, Why that's they what I. If there's that? any listeners yeah. out there, tell us. Tell us the truth. That's what. I, that's yeah. the impression that I've been under for a few years. Is that wow. we do not own that building anymore. No. Well, well, recently, I had this little. Um, because you can get lost in there. There's like little pockets mm. and and yeah. little Even like stairwells. Pa- bathrooms are like yeah. a mission. And the bathrooms are really cool. There's a little, like more space in the bathrooms in the QB than my yeah. apartment in Surrey Hills. <laughs> and uh, there's a rooftop as well. So I got taken uh, to the rooftop to when? see. We were looking at. Was some, this a special thing? Yeah. It was a like, heritage tour? 
Yeah, no, I was because I know some people and we were looking at secret spaces that we could do events and things. And um, yeah, there's a rooftop space, which Mm. is absolutely stunning. And at the moment, just the retail staff, if they want to go and have their lunch there, they can. But that's all it's utilised for. Oh, And there's a couple of ways you can get there. You obviously get someone to take you... um, up some uh, the elevator and you can go upstairs but there's also if you look in the centre mm. of the QVB there's this crazy spiral staircase oh. I have wanted to go up that staircase my whole life Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get to go up the spiral staircase we went a safer route but oh, if you go up God. that spiral staircase it takes you up and at the moment they're also yeah. um, renovating the and restoring one of the domes with that incredible lead lighting oh. and oh. so you can access it from the rooftop apparently epic. Epic. Yeah. that is so epic now all the listeners are going to try and get on the roof yeah. I love the um, <laughs> wacky like underground that Sydney City has like if you under go the train station you and like you don't actually have to go onto the street it's like there's such do you know why they had that underground culture trivia okay. trivia so the reason <laughs> well, I think it went from like St James to yeah. Wynyard and it was yeah. because back in the day apparently when because there's a church I think near Wynyard that they used to take um, there was like the what is it called when you have bodies morticianers morticians or whatever uh, someone correct me. Yeah, I don't know what the name. Is. Well, yeah, okay. yeah. So basically, the, <laughs> dressing a body on the, the where the dead bodies go, the where they, they no, where they get morticianed, morticianed no, before they oh. go to the church. Mm. They couldn't be wheeling dead bodies through the streets, oh so God. they built these tunnels underground in Sydney, so that the Morticianers could wow. take the dead bodies under the tunnels really and take them like, to the church. You know, you go into like the Hunter Connection and then like you can, you know, walk through to Wynyard, but then you can go to like Town Hall and there's all this like underground yes, stuff and through the QVB and through the galleries and stuff. It's like really fun. Yeah. yeah. And it's all you, an afterthought. You can yeah. just yeah. see there was no planning. No, absolutely no, absolutely not any planning. planning. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike you go to Canberra and you're like, it's just a circle. Yeah. Or you go to Melbourne, it's just a grid. Yeah. Um, there is nothing. And yeah. the other thing that I think you should do if you like a bit of history, I'm sound like a real nerd burger. <laughs> On the weekend, I went and <laughs> no. did uh, a Rocks ghost tour. I love oh, them. they're great. Yes, they're so fun. Oh my it was gosh. Like, oh, just a casual Friday night. We were the only ones from, the a, quarantine from Sydney. Center? Yeah, you can yeah, do the quarantine yeah. one I've at done Manly. On the Argyle Bridge. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I got invited to one for a Christmas party and I turned it down. Oh, you, you should, should do it. it. It's yeah, really I did one for my 13th birthday. Really? You were too cool for Sydney. Yeah. Terrified at 13 to do yeah. that. Oh, it's so fun. I remember when like, I, I got inspired from those, and then we were on <laughs> year six camp. <laughs> oh, no, it was maybe year seven camp. And then we were on Cockatoo Island, and I was like, let's go on a ghost tour. Because <laughs> you could do the and I just No, I just took people around. Oh, you did? Oh, you just like, made up stories. I just lured children away. I remember, like, I'd Gosh. seen Shutter Island, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to retell that story, but just Cockatoo Island. That's amazing. Oh I will go on your ghost tour. I will. What did you want to do when you were 13? Like, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. I think, like, I... I really, goes I, to a host. I loved, yeah. <laughs> I loved writing and I loved art and it's, I'm, it's kind of what I do. Like, I write quite a lot and I make art and I do design. Uh, and, like, hey, I always wanted to be creative and I wanted to work myself. So that was, yeah. you know, working for somebody else was never the question. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I wanted to be an astronomer when I was really little. I loved stars. Um, and then, you know what actually set me down the architecture? And this is so embarrassing to me, and I hope nobody I know listens to this, but my ex-boyfriend was applying for architecture school, like, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And he was like, well, you know, you're really good at art and maths and blah, blah. You should, like, just, like, apply for architecture as well. And I was like, okay. And he didn't get it. He didn't oh, get into the school. Oh. I got into UCI. <laughs> 
and I haven't even changed. I've never deviated from like architecture at all. That's and, so funny. And then he went to art school, and I don't even know what he's doing now. Suck it, whatever your name is. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I kind of like hate every time I remember that. Oh, like he was kind of like the guy that like pushed me to do architecture. <laughs> I, have, I have to be thankful, and yes, so I don't want I to I know. Be. <laughs> cool. Well. I feel like we could have talked for ages, but we've got Game of Thrones to watch. We do That's have Game right. of Thrones. Yeah. Otherwise, but this is, this is a really yeah. fun episode. This it was great. Fun. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, if people want to follow, are you going to do any more projects like you did with the, the peripheral one? Well, hopefully Ruby and I collaborate a little bit more. This We've got so many things going on, but whenever we do get a chance to catch up, we do want to push our little project, which is to approach more people about any underutilized spaces. And actually, and I think a lot of what we're working with is the edge of the creative industries mm. and kind of defining what that is because a lot of people think people go into these spaces as creators are just going to like, oh, turn them into like art studios or like do another gallery. And we kind of want to kind of challenge that a little bit and say, no, spaces can still be functional. They can still be economic, but they can also be a little bit more, have more of a micro brief and yeah. not just be for, yeah. One so type of person. I think One that's great. Yeah. I think, you know, that idea of breaking the mold from these four different spaces that we keep recreating over and over yeah. again really does hamper. Yeah. And maybe some of our listeners out there. Yeah. I mean, if you have a space that you yeah. own or you have access to and you're or looking if you at have like a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either or. Yeah. Looking for interesting. I think Ruben and I will put together a business plan or a mm. business model or a business case. I don't even know what a the business right term something. is. Of the, a business something. Business. <laughs> business. <laughs> but, it's I mean, business time. Ruby will get all the work website branding stuff up like like that so watch this space literally yeah. <laughs> how can people get in contact with you guys um i've got a new website now it's studioshoe.com.au and my email is shu shu at studioshoe.com.au <laughs> i've also got a website it's rubyph.com and then also my Instagram. I'm on Instagram more than I am on anything else. Yeah. So you just guys DM can just me. link the Instagrams at the bottom yeah. and all the links. Slide into her DM. Yeah. That's what she's saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good. Thank you so much for joining Thanks. us. The questions are so fun. Yeah. yeah. So great. <laughs> um, well, yeah, look, if you listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. If you know someone else who's really into design, share it with them or any other episodes that we've got out there. We are into season two. Um, or perhaps you know some interesting people some creatives out in different industries that we should be speaking to we're always open to recommendations um that's it from me if you want to hit us up jai's double star co and i'm ms darlinghurst on instagram let's go watch game of thrones yes, until next week Thanks, Bye. 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 <laughs>